Good evening. I'm Rick Cottom. Welcome to Your Maryland. At midnight on January 16, 1920, the Volstead Act, the 18th Amendment to the Constitution, banning the sale or consumption of alcohol, went into effect. In hotel bars, waterfront saloons, and roadside taverns all across the state, bartenders gave away half-empty bottles and glumly closed their doors. Working people, travelers, veterans returning from France, and society bigwigs alike all faced the sad truth. After decades of crusading, the temperance movement had won the day. The hopeful looked ahead and wondered what the great experiment would bring. Those who saw the glass half full waited for the heavy hand of dry tyranny to enter their lives. They didn't wait long. H.L. Mencken, who had warned that prohibitionists were trying to ram their peruna down the national gullet, got an early taste of it on the way to the New York office of the Smart Set magazine. The red cap who picked up his bag at Pennsylvania Station told him it felt a little heavy and nodded toward a couple of men standing in the shadows. Detectives, he said, looking for gentlemen carrying a secret bottle or two. Anyone suspicious, they took downstairs and searched. The guilty went to jail. Mencken had heard of federal agents waking people on sleeping cars and rifling their possessions in search of contraband booze. Even ladies' luggage wasn't safe. This week I seen them nail about 30 gentlemen, the red cap said, but added, don't worry, I know how to carry it, so as it looks light. Marylanders shared Mencken's outrage. The state attorney general absolved the state police of any responsibility to enforce the law, and most Maryland jurisdictions followed suit. When President Warren G. Harding, over lunch at a national governor's conference, lectured the governors on their duty to strictly enforce the law, Governor Albert C. Ritchie himself stood up and fired back that Marylanders had handled the temperance issue quite well for several centuries, thank you, and didn't need this unnecessary and drastic federal infringement on their state and personal rights. Ritchie and his state became a national rallying point against dry tyranny. In 1923, Ritchie won re-election in a landslide, and the phrase, Maryland the Free State, became a local battle cry. On the lighter side was John Philip Hill, a young Baltimore lawyer, war veteran, and Republican congressman from a Democratic working-class district. When the evening sun asked all politicians where they stood on prohibition, Hill went the paper one better. Noting that farmers, but not city people, were allowed to make wine and cider from their fruit, he renamed his Franklin Street house Franklin Farms, planted a few grapevines and apple trees in his backyard, and let nature take its course. As the yield in his cider rose, he complained to the paper that his fruit, not he, was breaking the law, and he asked federal agents for advice. They arrested him. In U.S. District Court, a jury, doubtless knowledgeable, tasted his wine, which was now above 12% alcohol, and with a wink pronounced it not intoxicating, in fact. Then they re-elected Hill in yet another landslide. Maryland had its share of smugglers and rum runners, but Baltimore never became another Chicago. Instead of barricaded speakeasies, Baltimore had restaurants, who not so secretly announced they offered illegal drinks by displaying the lighted sign of a red crab in the window. Here and there, a basement explosion marked where some home brewer had miscalculated, but alcohol was freely available. After all, the U.S. Industrial Alcohol Corporation at Curtis Bay produced millions of gallons annually, and much of it found eager buyers at $3 a jug. And so the Jazz Age danced on in Maryland, understated, civilized, and fiercely defiant, as befitted the free state. The dry crusade seethed as young men bought fast cars and raccoon coats, young women bobbed their hair and smoked in public, 
and Marylanders everywhere raised a glass against tyranny beneath the sign of the Red Crab.